150 student podcast. My name is Trevor, and today I'm joined by Daniel to talk about work culture and Kiroshi. Daniel, how's it going? Hey, Trevor, it's going really good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, of course. So, uh, just let's get started on this podcast. Um, so, just tell me, what is your topic, and, and why did you choose it? Well, Trevor, my topic is work culture and Kiroshi, as you mentioned, and it is basically the issue Japan has with uh, people literally working themselves to death. It's a very important uh, problem there in Japan at the moment, and it's been there since the 60s. And so I chose this topic because it's a very um, important part of Japanese culture that's not usually talked about a lot. And um, I thought it was a, I wanted to figure out more about it and how it came to be. So my friend, uh, just when I was thinking of, of uh, ways to talk about the social culture, uh, he suggested this one, and I just found it really intriguing. So I decided to dig, dig a little deeper, and, well, it's a pretty depressing situation, right. <laughs> to be honest. So. Yeah, and, and now you mentioned your, your friend brought this up. So was this something that you were aware of before doing this project, or did you just kind of realize that it was a thing, you know, two weeks ago? I had some idea of it because I actually um, learned from a, a video game series called Persona that they, uh, and to put it simply, they go into the psyche of people and uh, try to fix them from the inside. And for one of the levels, it was this uh, corporate... Uh, uh, leader, who was began to see, who when you went inside him, like you, it was revealed that his uh, company he saw it as a factory and his workers as robots, and these robots would continuously break down and he would discard them. So I was very intrigued by what what was all that about, and I discovered that it's basically a critique of the Japanese overworking culture. So that's where it first started, where it first it was first revealed to me of how much the Japanese worked compared to the rest of the world. Okay, interesting again. Mm-hmm. So if you could, just describe the main aspects of Kiroshi then. Well, Kiroshi, there's two ways that uh, Kiroshi affects people. The first is physically, and the second is mentally. Physically, um, the, the effects of Kiroshi are heart attack or heart failure. And that is because Kiroshi usually um, comes about from high stress, from having work, from working long hours. So this high stress basically makes your... Your cholesterol and blood pressure rise. It gives your it keeps pumping your body with adrenaline and cortisol, and so your heart just keeps beating and beating faster and faster to try to um, keep up with all the stress you're feeling and all the adrenaline that it eventually just gives way. For example, a lot of the times with physical um, effects of Kiroshi are exhibited in heart attacks with uh, people that are doing physical jobs, such as the first case, which was a shipping <coughs> worker. That um, in the 1969, he just uh, suddenly had a heart attack while working on his factory. And so uh, that's usually the first case of how Kiroshi is seen. The second part is uh, mental. And again, the stress also affects this, but in a different way. The stress basically comes about from frustration of workers who are not being able to meet the deadlines that the corporate um, leaders are imposing on them. Right. And because they're so frustrated, they just start to lose sleep. They start to start... Um, getting more anxious over their failures to succeed at their jobs. And so they start to um, work more and more to try to keep up with this uh, with these deadlines and, and as a way to alleviate their anxiety. But what this re- results in is um, them not getting enough sleep. And because they don't get enough sleep, I actually uh, discovered this from a, a certain researcher that I found very interesting, that's Ichiyo Matsusaki, who was an expert of workplace stress at Su- Tsukuba University, 
Like he argues that sleep deprivation is the greatest cause for suicide because <clears throat> the cerebral fatigue you get from this from this uh, lack of sleep basically makes you unable to see uh, it impairs your decision making skills. So that means that if anything happens to you, if you get like a bad day at your job or if you, um, you know, get fired or something like that, it's basically the end of the world for you. You can't see any other option, any other escape. So in response to that, many people end up taking their lives because they see no other option because sleep deprivation doesn't allow them to see any other option. Right. So suffice to say, it's a pretty big problem in Japan then right now. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and how does it compare to North American work culture? Is there a big difference there or no? So compared to uh, American culture, we can obviously see that there, well, in Japan, for example, a 10-hour workday is seen as a norm, and here in the U.S. is usually a 8-hour, or in Canada, 7.5 hours, right? So it, th that's the first key difference, is that people aren't expected to work as much as people in Japan are. Yep. There's also this idea that... Um, you're not loyal to the company, which is also like a new development for us, to me, to be fair, because um, like back in the day as well, for for United, for like American companies or just uh, people working in the Western world, it's just that you stick with a company, you get the ben you get a benefit for working for them for so long, and then you retire happily. That is no longer the case anymore with our world, and um, Japan has hit been hit really strongly by that, and the reason why um, Karoshi is a thing is because. They still keep on to the still keep latching on to these ideas of company loyalty, even though it's no longer a, it's no longer a viable way of doing business. So, for example, North American cultures, you can now see that this there's people always switching around jobs. There's they're jumping from one to another, trying to seek the best uh, work environments. Meanwhile, in Japan, they're still stuck in this idea of company loyalty. Of course, they. Yeah, of course, there's a new generation popping up. There's now more focus on finding the correct work environment to find a good work environment to you know not die from overworking for a prestigious company, no matter how amazing, huge honor that might be. So Japan is um. There's a big emphasis right now on overwork and loyalty to your company, but it's starting to slowly shift more to an American point of view. Right. It's funny you mentioned the the loyalty part of that actually because, um, as you'll see after this. When you interview me, um, my project is about baseball, and there's a strong sense of lo loyalty there as well as players typically stay with one team for their entire career, and they can be promised a job after that. So um, you can kind of see that um, that sort of sense of loyalty across the, the entire nation, not just with office jobs. Um, so why do you think this work culture evol evolved that way, though? Well, yeah, taking into account what you said, there's like um, <clears throat> in Japan, loyalty has always been a pretty big deal. So like from what we what we seen from our class with Grudeau and the, there's a big emphasis on every like um since the what would I say Tokugawa period of loyalty to your state to your fellow people to your lord, and um this type of idea of loyalty has obviously transcended to modern day. And um first it started as for example loyalty to your state loyalty to your and loyalty to your family loyalty to your uh, and not just family in in the idea of like. Uh, close like a father, mother, and all that kind of stuff, but look family in the sense of um, your household. So it's it's also evolved now to the corporation with the idea that the corporation is now your family. So you have, you're loyal to them and you don't betray them and you keep working for them. Right. And your loyalty will eventually be rewarded. So as you can say, like, for example, for your own baseball, is that, for example, for these players that have played with their teams and, you know, 
given basically their bodies for them for a freak set. Well, don't want to spoil anything, but apparently these workers, um, these uh, baseball players, degrade their body at a lot quicker pace than the yes. American counterparts. So in exchange for giving up their bodies, basically for the sport, they're giving a salary, a salary and a position in the company of their team. So again, there's this idea that loyalty is rewarded. Of course, now the issue is that that is no longer the case with the change in the global and the Japanese economy that is right now in a pretty big slump. So. Now, was there something that you found in your research that really surprised you regarding Kuroshi? I think that surprised me regarding Kuroshi. I guess it's just how long it's been around. Like, I always figured it was something recent, you know, with the whole economic slump and everything. But no, it's something that even when Japan was doing good, like during the economic miracle and all that, <clears throat> there were still cases of this happening, so... It's uh, interesting to see. Uh, that was interesting to find out about about that. It's not not, not only like a a problem of the the bubble crash. It's also just something that's been a you know been with Japan for a while now. So that was definitely one of the most uh, intriguing parts of it. And um, I guess what's also what was also interesting was like the solutions apparently because for some companies the way to solve this problem was simply to turn off the lights, which. Seems a bit ridiculous, but it was actually having pretty good effects on the people. Oh, really? Yeah, like it was actually kind of working. So that was interesting to see, like, um, the kind of solutions people would come up with because it's a cultural norm at this point. So it's hard to fight that, like, on a, like, a, both on a social like, and a legal level. So, For sure. And there's just so many people in the country, too, that it's kind of hard to just change that culture overnight. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So now, do you think these companies try to simply put this under the rug because they know they can get more productivity even if they're literally working some of these employees to death oh yes of course definitely and it's not necessarily like um like i'm not i want to just straight up blame them and say the corporations are evil and all that and all that jazz but japan is in a very pretty big slump right now so these companies have been trying to keep up their profits but in order to do so they have to um they have to keep up um, greater goals on their employees. They have to um, this minute. They have they're they're caught in a catch twenty two situation because they can either reduce their employees and reduce their <coughs> their workloads, but in, in but in this case, it would um mean that their that their economy would shrink, or they could uh, do what they've done so far, which is just decrease the work the the workforce, but keep the workload the same in, in an effort to keep um profits up and hopefully tie it over to uh, better times. But definitely, there is um, there's an, this idea that the corporations are like they don't want to do this. They don't want to um, they don't want to do the sacrifice for the people. Right. They're <clears> essentially <throat> putting profits over the people. Yeah, pretty much. Right. So um, now, and you briefly touched on it for a second. You didn't get into specifics just yet, but it was going to be my next question. Um, what is being done specifically right now to combat Kuroshi by these companies? As I've mentioned, what has been done to combat this is um, some simple solutions like turning off the lights, but many companies, especially like automobile companies, I've noticed, um, are limiting overtime to 30 hours per month. Before it was like 50. Now they're limiting like themselves to 30 hours per month. Right. And they also, another one of those silly solutions is just making an announcement every hour after 7 p.m. urging employees to go home and telling them how good a good night's <laughs> sleep is, right? So, like it feels like it should be obvious to us, right? right but yeah. the Culture is so ingrained in that that, like this idea that you have to stay longer at work and you know impress your superiors and be loyal to your company and all that that. Sometimes like, people the people just need like a slight uh, 
smack on the head to, you know, snap, you know, put some sense into them. But, um, yeah, a lot of companies have been reducing their hours. They've been, um, they've been introducing possibilities for workers to leave early if they have to take care of children or the elderly and things like that. Well, it was interesting as well is that some, like, uh, companies that are more rem in remote areas, like there's one, for example, that's by Mount Fuji, that in an effort to make their employees more healthy and prevent karoshi, they've been basically building these installations of, like, gyms and tennis courts and telling employees to go out and enjoy the, you know, the the installations they have and keep their bodies healthy, right? And and alleviate stress that way. And um, as for the government itself, it hasn't been as direct about it. Like, they've done, like, um, they keep saying, we need to regulate this. We need to make sure everyone's okay. But they don't actually enforce those, like, regulations, right? Yeah, they're just there, but they might not actually do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. And the problem with this is because um, it's based on these idea of dark enterprises. And what dark enterprises are are basically um, these corporations that can't be touched because they're backed by the government in order to, like, once again, boost back up the Japanese economy. So they're basically given a free pass to um, um, keep up um, work their workers to death, basically. So that's... Uh, it's the government is not really doing that much in this situation. There's a lot of calls for the government to really, um, you know, not betray the people and to put their interests above the corporations. For sure, it seems like there's maybe on the surface they're trying to make an effort, but I don't know how much that's actually going to do. Um, so if these measures in place right now aren't working, which it seems like, you know, maybe they're working a tad. What are some possible solutions that you think would be feasible? <coughs> well, for this, um, I call on the research of other people. For example, um, there's one by uh, Haruki Kono, who's a writer reporting on corporate wrongdoing, and he's the one that coined the term dark enterprises. He argues three simple measures, which is one, place a cap on labor hours, two, enforce penalties when violations occur, and three, increase number of labor and standard inspectors to execute these um, penalties when the violations are found. So what's basically important here is that to place a cap on the number of hours one can work overtime. And make it legal and enforce it. That's the most important part. Yeah. Is enforcing this. There's one by uh, Francis Rosenbluff that states that um, tax that uh, if uh, companies are given tax breaks when recruiting women, they could uh, this could be greater incentive for uh, female recruitment of the workforce, and um, that means that men would be able to uh, that less men would have to bear the burden of uh, working and. Um, they wouldn't have so much social pressure on ensuring that their families are okay because something I didn't also didn't mention is that a lot of these uh, karoshi incidents are for men because for men, if they're dismissed from their jobs or if they screw up somehow, it really reflects bad on their masculinity. They're supposed to be the breadwinners, right? Yes, exactly. They're supposed to be the breadwinners. So if they fail, they're basically seen as failures as men. So a lot of times they can't deal with that and they, uh, like I said, sleep deprivation and all that. It just makes them seem that taking their own life is the most honorable thing they can do at that time. Some, uh, that's some depressing stuff, Dan. <coughs> yeah, it sure is. <laughs> um, you definitely bring up some good points um, from those other uh, people with research on Karoshi. And I think the most important point is that those regulations have to be enforced, right? Because they, they have done, the government has brought up a few things, such as less overtime hours and um, you know having those tennis courts and stuff like that. But those things have to be enforced because if, if not, then... Um, these these companies are still going to exploit their workers, and you're just going to be back at square one. So definitely, if they can enforce it somehow, then hopefully 
hopefully there can be a, a big shift in Japanese society. Yeah, exactly right. It's um, it, it, I hope that it it changes for the better for them because um, it sucks. The situation really sucks for them, and um, some people blame it that it uh, some people blame it that it's like uh, the reason why the population is decreasing, right? So, yeah, definitely. So uh, <coughs> ending on a depressing note, there, Daniel. Um, I think we can wrap it up there, though. Um, Daniel, you have any, anything else to say? Um, make sure to get a good night's sleep and, um, you know, don't let the stress get to you. All right. Thanks for joining us. That is the Meiji 150 Student Podcast. Thanks. The Meiji at 150 Podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.